Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet or in one of the venues here or listening to a podcast, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you're along uh, too. What a great day. We're, uh, we're in a, a new series uh, called Love Songs, and uh, we're studying the Song of Solomon. And we're not studying it as a historical book, you know, like verse by verse like we normally do because it's a piece of poetry and it's about love and uh, courtship and dating and marriage. And at all of our campuses, at least most of our campuses, I think we're singing, uh, we're having special music to, uh, of our favorite love songs. And here at the Long Point campus, we just finished one. And I felt like it, like it, we, we were in a blues bar. You know, I mean, you, you just need a little smoke and it was just awesome. This is not your grandma's church. Okay. All right. <laughs> Well, some weekends, uh, we're going to be in this series, we'll be talking to singles. We kind of did that last week just a little bit, and we'll, we'll do it some more as we go along. This weekend is marrieds, and we're going to uh, uh, talk to, to uh, married couples more so. Singles, I believe that you'll get something out of it, and I know that all of us know married couples that maybe could benefit from some of what we're, we're talking about. Maybe you can just look at it from that point of view or kind of uh, uh, assimilate it into uh, you and maybe a future relationship that you'll have. I want to talk about how to build strong marriages. You know, we all have our own idea of what that is about. I heard about uh, three guys, three different guys, three different parts of the country that had their idea about what, what a strong marriage looked like. The first guy married a girl from Ohio, and uh, he told her, you know, this is what it's going to take to have a strong marriage and build a strong marriage for us. He said, your responsibility, I want you to do all of the dishes and all of the house cleaning. And so he said it took a couple of days but on the third day, he came home and saw a clean house, and dishes washed and put away. He said he was happy. Second guy married a woman from Michigan, and he said, you know, in order for us to have a strong marriage, he said, you're going to need to do all the cleaning, the cooking, and the dishes. We're not going to eat out at restaurants, but we're going to eat at home, and I want you to do all the cooking, cleaning, and dishes. He said on the first day, he didn't really see that many results. He said, but the next day he saw it was better. And by the third day, he saw that his house was clean. The dishes were done. There was a huge dinner on the table. He said, we're off to a good start. Third guy married a girl from South Carolina. And he said, in order for us to have a strong marriage, he said, you're going to need to keep the house clean, the dishes washed, the lawn mowed, the laundry done. And I want a hot meal on the table every time we eat. Well, he said the first day he really didn't see anything. Second day he didn't see anything. But he said by the third day, some of the swelling had gone down. <laughs> he said he could see just a little bit out of his left eye. And he said his arm was healed just enough that he could fix himself a sandwich and load the dishwasher. But he, still, he said he still has some difficulty when he urinates. So anyway, I don't know. So, if you were offended by that, just send an email to Greg Surratt at idontcare.com. All right, there we go. <laughs> Song of Solomon, I love that. So, one of you sent me that. So, don't, you, just don't, uh, you guys helped me a lot with this message today. Listen, Song of Solomon is about two people who are desperately in love. Who, who want to consummate their uh, feelings and their love with one another with a marriage relationship. 
And in Song of Solomon 8, and verse 6 and 7, it says this, and it's on your outline sheet. You can kind of follow along if you want to. It says, Place me like a seal over your heart, or like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Say that together. Love is as strong as death. And it describes it. Its jealousy is enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can rivers drown it. If a man tries to buy love with everything he owned, his offer would be utterly despised. Never really heard it put that way before, other than Song of Solomon. But it says, love is as strong as death. Some of us would probably rephrase verse 6 like this. Love is as strong as death and my marriage feels like it's died. Some of you would say there was a time when I thought I couldn't wait to be married, like those in Song of Solomon, but you know what? I don't really feel it now. Or some of you would say, you know what? My marriage is not that bad, but it sure could use some help and it could get stronger and better. So how do you build a strong marriage? How do you do it? Let me give you a couple of ideas. First thing you do is is you study your spouse. If you're going to build a strong marriage, you need to study your spouse. I remember in school growing up, I hated studying. Is there anybody else like me here? Have you have you really enjoyed studying? You really liked it? Okay. All right, you guys are you're normal, but I don't like you. Okay? Cuz I it was so hard for me. It was so hard for me. I hated I would do anything to put off study. You know when you had a term paper, when would you get it done? I'd do it all the night before, you know. I remember one term paper I had to do, it had to be 10 pages. And I had to do it the night before. I'm going to stay up all night long. And I decided to make the term paper about conservation and cut the pages down to real small and made the whole thing about that, you know. Hated study. But you know what I did like? You know what I did like growing up? My dad used to take me to all of the Colorado Buffalo football games. And all the home games I'd go. I'd listen to all the away games on my radio on Saturdays. It was great. I loved it. It even brings back great memories to think about it now. I studied. We'd buy the uh, program, you know. I would study that. I'd read about them in the paper. I could tell you every starter on the Colorado University football team. I could tell you the, you know, the, the, the second stringers and where they were. And, and I, I loved the Denver Broncos. Floyd Little was recently inducted into the Hall of Fame. And some people, when he was inducted, didn't know who he was. I knew who he was. The greatest football player of his time just played on a miserable Denver team for years. I studied that stuff. Now, why did I struggle at school, but I could study, you know, sports and all of that kind of thing? Because I was passionate about it. See, whatever you're passionate about, then you will study. But, but here's, here, here's, the, here's the truth is that the, the more you love something, the more you want to learn about it, the more you learn the more you love it. And Song of Solomon is about two people so passionate about each other, they can't learn enough. Their descriptions of each other are almost embarrassing, aren't they? Have you guys been reading? Some of you have been reading through. I mean, a lot of you have uh, sent me emails and texts, and then on the city you've posted some things about Song of Solomon, and you're reading it every, you know, you read the whole book, all eight chapters this week, and, and we've made a commitment the next 40 days, we're all going to read at least the book once, one time per week, a lot of you are doing that, and as you read the descriptions that they give of one another when he talks about her and she talks about it, so you're by yourself reading your Bible and you're like blushing, you know, 
Because they're so descriptive. They have studied each other. Studied each other. Well, in, in, in fact, um, verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, You are like my private garden, my treasure, my bride. You are like a spring that no one else can drink from. Nobody else can study. Nobody else can know you, but you're a fountain of my own. If you want to build your marriage, you've got to study your spouse. I love studying Deb. Drives her nuts. I love just looking at her. You know, she'll look over. What's up? I love you, girlfriend. (laughs) And uh, I just like she fascinates me. We've been married for thirty-four years this summer, and I learn new stuff. But she still fascinates me because she is so different than I am. We've told you that before. There's no two people probably. You know, people say, well. You know, maybe we ought to, we just aren't, we just don't have anything in common. Trust me. Trust me. That's not a good excuse. Learn. Learn to have something in common. I love studying her. We're so different. You know, we've, um, we've taken the DISC test, the personality test, D-I-S-C, and a lot of you are familiar with that. I'm a high D and a high I, uh, directing, leading. Uh, I like relationships. And then the S and the C, the steady, cautious, doesn't even appear on the radar screen when I take the test. And that's dangerous because I have no steady, no caution. I am a risk taker. I will do stupid stuff left to my own. If I had not married her, I really believe that, um, that I would be a disaster somewhere. You know, just dreaming stuff that never got done. You know what I'm saying? She is a high S, high C with very little D and DNI and it just totally different for me. So what I at first that was a real problem. First few years of our marriage because we tried to make each other into our own image. Anybody have any testimonies of that? But then I began to see, you know, God brought us together. That's a beautiful thing. I need to learn what what she's about. And so I would study. I bought books on what her personality was. Study, 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 study. These days here at Seacoast we we use the strength finders. And in Strength Finders, there's like five key words that describe everybody. And I think there's about 30 words or 36 words altogether. And my five words and her five words are not the same at all. And I carry her five words in my telephone with the words and the descriptions so that when she does something that I don't understand, rather than, and that happens every day, rather than, <laughs> rather than going, she's not like me, that's not right, I'll, I'll look it up and go, oh, that's why she does that, because that's how God created her. She's unique and different, and it fascinates me because I love her. C.J. Mahaney says in order to romance, for romance to deepen, before you touch her body, you must touch her heart and her mind. I like that. First Peter says it like this. He says in First Peter 3, 7, it says, live with your wives. This is to the husbands. He says, live with your wives according to knowledge. Some versions say, live with your wives with understanding. In other words, you've got to learn, you've got to study your spouse if you're going to have a strong marriage. In the words of the great theologian, Brian Adams, he says, to really love a woman, to understand her, you've got to know what's deep inside. Hear every thought, see every dream, give her wings when she wants to fly. And when you find yourself lying helpless in her arms, you know that you really, really love a woman. That guy's got it together, i got to tell you. That is my favorite love song of all times. That's the modern day Song of Solomon right there. Study 
your spouse. Well, what do you study? Well, I talked about personality, and that'd, that'd be a place to start. Take personality tests. Both of you do that. They're online. You can do that and then study what it means and all of that. You can study love languages. Uh, Gary Chapman wrote a great book, The Five Languages of Love. And that's really good. Let me talk to the men just for a minute, and then I'll talk to the women, okay? Men, in studying the love language of your wife, you need to know this. Some women feel loved when they are touched, okay? That's how they feel loved. It may, may not be how you feel love, but it might be how she feels love. I heard about a couple that went out to eat, and uh, they see this older couple in a restaurant, at least the wife does, and the older couple were sitting off in the corners, kind of romantic, you know, the low lights and all of that. And, and the old guy's, you know, he reaches across the table and he's holding her hand and he's just talking to her and he's looking into her eyes and he's just whispering sweet nothings across the table. And the younger couple sitting over here and she looks at her husband and she says, see that? I said, why don't you do that? The guy says, I don't even know that woman. <laughs> Sometimes we're clueless, okay? So guys, I'm going to assume you're clueless for just a few minutes, all right? And if she needs to be touched, and that fills her love tank, she wants to sit close to you, she wants to cuddle, she wants to touch you, say, well, that's just not my thing. Well, if you're married, you need to make it your thing. It might not be natural, but you know what? It's your responsibility. When you said, I do, you took responsibility to serve her whatever way she needed to be served, and vice versa. You need to find out what the love language of your spouse is. Don't let this just fall through your... Because, because they're craving love. And yes, God brings love. And I know all of that. But let's assume that it's your responsibility too, because it is. And you need to learn how to fill the tank. If you're not filling the tank, trust me, somebody else just might. And so you need to, you need to, you need to love her in the way that she needs to be loved. It may, some guys, it's touch. Some women feel loved when you spend time with them. Just hang out. Just spend time. You know, one thing I hate to do is go shopping. Did you know that shopping is actually Greek for demon? Did you know that? Yeah, we're going deep here. <laughs> and Debbie doesn't even like me to go shopping with her because I'm such a pain, you know. But sometimes I, I go, you know what? I, she just needs me to spend time with her, so I'm going to go. This is how I'm going to serve her. Not because I like shopping, because I love my wife. You know, if you own shopping areas or stores or something, let me give you a clue here. You could make it simpler for us. Like clothing stores, it, it, they, they, it, you should have chairs outside the trying on room, okay? So that guys can sit down. If they're trying to spend time with their wife, they don't want to be there, but they're just trying to love their wives. They, they, they don't need to stand in the women's lingerie section, which is always right there outside the trying on room. You're standing around. Somebody comes up, can I help you? No, I'm just looking. You know, it's like... You feel like some kind of perv, you know. <laughs> Have a chair, okay? D do something, all right? But go, guys. Sometimes, if, that, if that's what she needs. Some women feel loved when you do something for them. It's acts of service. Deb's kind of that way. She starts to feel all warm and fuzzy when I fix something, you know. When I change the air filters, that's like foreplay. You know, you know it's just like, <laughs> I don't understand that, you know, but whatever some women feel loved when you buy them stuff okay you buy them stuff listen uh you say well how do you know rule of thumb if she's wearing lots of bling she's probably in that category and she wants you to buy something small things big things houses cars they feel loved 
Some women feel loved when you talk to them. What's interesting is you get a woman that, you know, it, she, it's, it's conversation. And, and you get a guy who he doesn't understand that. And so you need to talk to her. And she, he says, she's talking and she's not saying anything. What do I do? It's okay. Listen, say nice things. She opens up. We're so different, aren't we? Somebody explained it like a Christmas tree lights, you know. Um, you remember the old school Christmas tree lights? They were all on one, a complete circuit. And so if there was one light bulb that was undone, none of them worked. Now they've got the, the new school ones, you know, they're, they're incomplete circuits so that you could have 20 bulbs not working, but the rest of them work. Now, uh, we've got a Christmas tree that the lights are all on it, which I love that. Well, guys, your wife is that first one, okay? If, if one bulb ain't working, ain't no bulbs working. <laughs> and you've got to go through and you've got to figure out which one is it. What, what do I do, you know? Kind of the way it is, all right? (laughs) Can I get an amen from the women? Is that true? All right, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So so guys, learn to talk to her. Share your feelings about your day. If you didn't have any feelings, make up a couple, you know. Uh, Ask her opinion. Make eye contact. Put the paper down. You know, talk to her just a little bit. Don't turn Sports Center on right after you make love. You know, just uh, th- these types of things. All right, some women like it all. And they want to be touched and buy things and acts of service and words of encouragement. If that's your wife, good luck. She's high maintenance, okay? But <laughs> you married her, all right? And it changes at various times. You've got to keep up. You can't just go, yeah, I know. Because it just, it's just that's the way it is. So two questions, guys, to ask your wife next time you have a date night. What have I said and done that made you feel loved? What have I said and done in the last 24 hours, last week? May have to go back a month. Might be a year. Okay. But she'll know. She will know. Don't worry. So she doesn't know. Yes, she does. It's like Jeopardy. Just ask the question. She knows the answer. Okay. She knows. Or what have I said and done that made you feel most unloved? What have I said and done that made you feel most unloved? And you just kind of study her. Love her like she needs it. You are responsible for that. And ladies, you are too. Figure out his love language. You are responsible. You say, I don't like all that. It doesn't matter what you like. You made a commitment to him. You study him. Okay. Ephesians 5.33 says, So again, I say each man must, circle the word must, love his wife as he loves himself. Not not an option. And each wife must, circle the word must, respect her husband. Let me, let me talk to the wives just a minute. Is that okay? Guys, ready for that? Good. Yeah, go for it, Pastor. Great book. You want to read a book together, Love and Respect by uh, Dr. Emerson Egerich. Um, how does a wife respect her husband? Let, let, me, let me give you three or four things. Number one, she recognizes that he was created to work. God created him to work. That's a part of what he does. And don't complain about his work. He's out of balance, you know. Uh, you know, might mention something every once in a while. But don't complain about it. Because that's what God made him do. Guys get a certain amount of esteem. from. Well, that's, that's why when guys are together, what's the first question you ask? What do you do? What do you do? That's, that's kind of where we are. So you need to be his biggest cheerleader in his work. And especially in these difficult times right now. Uh, if he's out of a job or if he's having a hard time making ends meet, especially in the um, 
economic times that, that we're in, be really sensitive to that because that's really connected to who he is. Be respectful. Be his biggest cheerleader. His biggest cheerleader. Second thing you do is let him protect and provide. God has created in him a desire to protect and to provide, to lead. And when you constantly second-guess every decision, sometimes I'll, I'll hear ladies doing that, you know, just constantly second-guessing their husbands. I think, you have no idea what you're doing. You're destroying the thing within him. You're, not, you're, you're violating this respect thing. Well, what if he makes, always makes dumb decisions? Well, you can respectfully, you know, give input, absolutely. But you know what? We have this wonderful power called the Holy Spirit. We can go to God and say, God, you know what? I'm, I, I want to be respectful. Lord, guide him and lead him and direct him. Be respectful of him. Um, third thing you can do is let him fix it occasionally. Okay? Let him fix it. I know all the books. I know all the stuff says, you know, guys, learn how to, you know, she doesn't need you to fix it all the time. And I know that, and we need to understand it. But I also think we have gone through a major feminization of males. We, we fix things. You know, that's, that's the male, uh, fixing something is the male version of empathy, okay? So occasionally, even though you go, you're saying inside, I don't need him to fix this, I just need him to listen to me. Let him fix it every once in a while. What that does is that shows respect uh, for who he is. Uh, fourth thing you can do is snuggle next to him on the couch and watch NASCAR with him, okay? <laughs> I want to tell you this about a man. Sometimes they don't need to talk it out. You need to talk it out. Sometimes they don't. They just need you to be right there. Do you know that that's how guys build relationships? By hanging out? I've got a buddy in the church that I go fishing a lot with on Fridays on my day off. We'll go for three or four hours. I'll come home. We were out with him last night. And we were going through this a little bit. And our wives, both of them, will ask, well, what would you talk about? And I'll be honest, Nothing. No, you're holding back. No, no, nothing. What'd you talk about? Nice catch. Does it fit in the slot? Uh, what are you using right now? Uh, you know, what's biting? And we had a great day. We had a great day. Sometimes I need to just go with a guy that doesn't want anything. You know, we just hang out and we can not even talk for an hour and it will be fine. We'll be good. We'll feel related. You know, that was a cool day, wasn't it? So you need to, you need to, to, just hang out with him sometimes. Sometimes hanging out, doing what he likes. Just, he, he, he would love to show you around his world. Let me tell you what stokes my tank. Every once in a while, I'll play golf. And every once in a while, I'll ask Deb, I'll say, you want to go with me? And she doesn't like golf, but she likes me. And so she'll go drive the cart, you know. And that's the, those are some of the greatest days of my life. She screws up. She drives it in the wrong places. She talks when she doesn't need to be talking, all that kind of stuff. But you know what? I love it because she's in my world. So, ladies, just get in his world every once in a while. Don't bug him. Respect his time with the guys, and he'll want to spend more time with you. Okay? So just do that. And then the fifth thing is, is respond to him sexually. Don't let the devil in your bedroom. Did you know the devil wants to get in your bedroom? Did you know that? The devil will do everything he can to bring people together sexually before marriage. I talked about that last week. And then he will do everything once they get married to keep them apart sexually. 
Don't allow that. Understand it. Here's a, here's a biblical principle. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5. It says, Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You know what that scripture's saying? Let me break it down for you. You need to either be praying or getting busy. That's what, you, you'd show me another interpretation of that scripture. That's what it says. It says it's a very important, you know what? Sex is not man's number one need, it's respect. But it's the way to get to his number one need. When you respond to him sexually, he feels respected like he doesn't feel respected any other way. It's unfair to, you know, to go to the, to, to get married and, 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 and to say, you know what, I want you only to have eyes for me, but then be unresponsive sexually. The scripture says that that gives the devil an opportunity. You ratchet up the temptation level in his life when you're not responding to him sexually. Husbands come under... Uh, Satanic attack when they're deprived of uh, sexual release. And let me tell you this, you can't get what you need by depriving your partner of what they need. You know, don't make him try to open up to you uh, verbally by depriving him of sex. That just doesn't work that way, okay? Uh, so, you know, respond to him sexually. You say, how much? More than you are right now. Uh, just trust me on this. I have... I know it goes both ways. I know that. And we're painting with broad brushes here. I've been a pastor for a number of years. I hear this all the time, constantly. I wish my wife was more responsive sexually. I wish my wife would initiate sex. Guys say that. That's my dream. And sometimes that happens. A lot of times, most of the time, it doesn't. So you should, well, well, a week ago, I said the average was two times a week. Nobody wants to be average. Okay, so... Let's go. Come on. Give it a program. We're different in this stuff. The the book, uh, Love and Respect, Egerich, gives a great example of how different we are. We just see life differently. Uh, For instance, when you take a shower, ladies, when you take a shower and he happens to be in the bathroom and you step out of the shower, trust me, I don't care where he is, he's all eyes. He's looking at you. When, When he gets out of the shower and you're in the shower... You're going, step on the, the mat. Don't, don't get the water all over the floor, you know? So you're going to have to study him because he's not like you, okay? And study your mate, study your spouse. Not only study, what's your action plan? What's your action plan? I want your homework this weekend is to talk about this. Okay? I'm opening up all kind of stuff. I want you to go to dinner, lunch, whatever, today if you can, and say, what, is, what did Greg say that really struck you in the relationship? And open up the doors, okay? All right, number two, and I'll, I'll go real quickly with these next two. Pursue your spouse. You've got to study your spouse. You've got to pursue your spouse. You know, one of the earliest games males and females play is chase. You notice that? 
I've got, you know, grandkids, and the two oldest ones are Miles, three years old, little guy, Addison, two years old. The other day, they were over at the house. She does this all the time to him. He'll be doing something over here, and she'll walk up to him, and she'll just irritate him, just, you know, peck at him, push him, do something like that. Then she'll take off running, and she looks back hoping that he's chasing her. And then if he isn't, she'll go edge him on again. Finally, he'll come running after him. He usually gets in trouble because he's, you know, if she doesn't get far enough ahead, he smacks her or something, you know. But they'll be running around. And when I watch that going on, I wanted to say to Miles, Miles, listen to me, buddy. This is going to be happening all your life. <laughs> now, hopefully it's not with your cousin, you know. <laughs> Unless you're from Kentucky, all right. But when you get in elementary school, when you get in elementary school, the girls, they're going to pester you and you're going to chase them and you're just, they, they try to get far enough out ahead, but they want you to catch them. And then when you're dating age, it's going to be the same thing. But what happens too often is when you get married, the chase ends. And the chase shouldn't end. How long has it been, if you're married, since you chased your wife? Song of Solomon, the young woman says, One night I lay in bed, I yearned deeply for my lover, but he did not come. And so I said to myself, I will get up now and roam the city searching for him. That's the chase in all of its streets and squares. But my search was in vain. But you go on in the chapter and she finally catches him. The Roman writer uh, Pliny the Younger once said, An object in possession seldom retains the same charge or charm that it had in pursuit. An object in possession seldom holds the same charm that it had in pursuit. In other words, when you abandon the chase, you may lose interest in your spouse. How do you know if you've abandoned the chase? Spouses who've stopped chasing each other are easy to spot. They're the couple who no longer has anything to talk about over dinner. It's the couple that used to rush home from work to see each other, but now they don't see the point. They're no longer excited when they can learn something new or when they discover another way they can serve each other. So how do you chase practical things? You guys know them. Date night. Schedule a date night. Listen, especially if you have, you, you need to be doing it all the time. But Debbie and I, we're, we're empty, empty, uh, empty nest. <laughs> First that was hard. Now it's really nice. And, uh, you know, every day's date night or whatever. Boy, if you got kids in the house... You desperately need a date night. One of the, the ways we can serve our family, I, I'm so excited about this now, as a grandparent, is cheap babysitting, you know? Date night. Now, when you got as many kids as we do, it's constant. Hey, we want to go on a date. Hey, we do too, you know? Leave us alone. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, if you got grandparents, grandparents, that's a ministry that you can have. Or maybe you don't have grandkids here but you're that age, maybe you need to look around in a small group or just look around in the church and serve uh, young families who don't have the money to do babysitting all the time. Serve them in that way. But you date night is it, a part of the chase. Text or phone call. I ever once in a while, I'll text them. Hey, girlfriend. <laughs> you know, it, she knows what I mean. But it's good. It's good. Or a note or a card or a letter or maybe an email. You send an email that you hope nobody else sees. But it's just the her. The practical ways to ignite the spark. Gifts. Keep a list. Getaways. You need getaways from time to time where you can just get away from everything. And occasional surprises. So 
Study your spouse, and you need to chase your spouse. Let me give you one more. You need to protect your spouse. You need to protect your spouse. Men were tasked specifically to protect our wives. It means to keep her from harm. How do you do that? Protect her physically. Protect her physically. Be willing to lay down your life. Let me talk to singles just for a minute. Girls, if you're, if you're in a relationship with a guy who's pressuring you to go farther than you want to go sexually or in any other way, that's not a guy that's willing to lay down his life for you. And can I, can I tell you this? That just because you get married, it won't automatically change. If he's not willing to lay down his life for you now, he's not going to be willing to lay down his life for you later. So you just watch. We'll talk about that in a single session uh, during this series. Lay down his life for you. Guys, we've got to be willing to do that. Protect her emotionally. Protect her spiritually. She should feel safe around you. Women, protect his manhood. We've talked about that by respecting him. If he senses your respect, he'll have confidence. You can build his confidence like nobody else can. Respect him with your words. The words that you say to him. The words that you say about him. Do the words that you say to your girlfriends about him reflect your respect for him or not? If your girlfriends didn't know him and they had to paint a picture of what your marriage is like, what would it be like based on what you're saying? Respect him with your words. There's another aspect of respect and protection. And it's found in Song of Solomon 7 and verse 10. It says, young woman, the young woman says, I am my lover's, the one he desires. Over time, desire can wane. It just does. It goes up. It goes down. You need to protect your desire for your spouse. I asked our video team to put together something that would illustrate that from a true story. Take a look at this. About 15 years into my marriage, my heart started turning cold toward my husband. He had an odd schedule at work, and then he spent most of his leisure hours volunteering at our church. When I tried to talk to him about spending less time at church and more with me and our children, he angrily shot back, you're just trying to hold me back from doing God's work. He then began punishing me by turning his back to me in the bedroom. Feeling lonely and rejected, I confided my misery to a friend who had called about an upcoming ministry project. My friend was kind and understanding. Unfortunately, no one had ever told me to guard my conversations with the opposite sex. The friend was a man, and a very good-looking one at that. We began talking more frequently. I thought the conversations were innocent, even though they now included discussions about the struggles in his marriage. Gradually, our phone relationship escalated to flirting, and his calls were the highlight of my week. Neither of us told our spouses. At church, I noticed he watched me a lot. I admit that I enjoyed the attention, the affirmative words, and the high I got with my schoolgirl crush. If someone had asked me if I was having an affair, however, I would have denied it. After all, there were no private lunches, there was no secret rendezvous, and there was no physical touch, except for a public hug now and then, or a slight touch of the hand. Everybody in our church hugged anyway, so no one was the wiser, or so I thought. Our emotional affair rocked on for over a year, until the day he said to me, I think I'm in love with you. Honestly, I felt the same about him. Hearing the words jolted me into reality. I was so upset afterwards that I looked at myself in the mirror in shock and cried. What have I done? I didn't like what I saw, 
as the Holy Spirit replayed the ugly truth of my actions back to me. Had I been physically unfaithful to my husband? No. Had I committed adultery in my heart? Yes. I plowed through the days of agony before finally falling to my knees before God in surrender. One definition of relinquishment is giving up title, releasing possession or control, and yielding power. How could I do otherwise? I had been a Christian for 16 years. My body was not my own. I had been bought with a price, so it was no longer my will that counted, but His. I confessed to God that I felt nothing for my husband, but that vows are not made to be broken. I would rather be unhappy the rest of my life than bring reproach to God's name, embarrass my children, or break up my family or anyone else's. As the Holy Spirit strengthened me, I heard the words in my heart that Jesus spoke to Peter over and over in John 21, 15 through 17. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you, and I repent. Then trust me, said the still, small voice. With my hand shaking and my heart racing, I made the call to tell my friend it was over. I can't do this anymore because the Lord has convicted me, I told him. Please don't call me again. Being an honorable man, he had never pressed me into anything, and he didn't now. He graciously made it easy for me to say goodbye. I didn't think I would have to tell my husband. We changed churches for other reasons, and frankly, I was afraid to confess. Meanwhile, our new church had a positive effect on both of us, and our relationship was slowly improving. We spent more time together, and our intimacy returned. Finally, when I felt comfortable, and with the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we sat down together one evening, and I confessed. I didn't want any secrets between us. My husband had some questions, and then he shocked me by saying, I knew it all along. Do you think I was blind to the looks and banter between you two? He couldn't really explain why he had not confronted me, but I was so touched by his grace and forgiveness. For the first time, he too confessed that he shared the blame for neglecting me and our family. It was a holy moment I'll never forget. Neither will I forget the surprise birthday present he presented to me a couple of weeks later. A 14 karat gold ring with my birthstone in it. I learned five important things from this experience. First. There's nothing more important than my relationship with God. I had to acknowledge that I had drifted from Him. When I got into a crisis, I became distracted and compromised, which led to sin. Second, the feelings of love for my husband are a direct result of my love and obedience to God. He rewards obedience. He would not have blessed my sin and disobedience. When I put Him back on the throne of my life, I started receiving everything I needed for life, love, and happiness. Third, married women should not pour out their troubles to another man, or vice versa. It's a trap of the enemy. Satan wants to derail lives and marriages. Don't let him. Fourth, infatuation is not love. It is selfish, and it doesn't meet the criteria of righteous love, as in 1 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. Finally, I chose to lead my heart instead of continuing to let it lead me. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. I learned not to trust my heart for guidance or truth. Now, many years later, my relationship with my husband continues to flourish. I never dreamed I could love him as much as I do. The creator of marriage knows how to redeem it.
for those who are willing to relinquish and lay down their own lives for the glory that is to come. Protect your marriage. Get honest with yourself. Be honest with God. We need to study our spouses. We need to pursue, chase our spouses. We need to build up our marriage and protect it. You know, the reality is, if you're married, that one day, probably one of you will stand over the casket of another. As I watched the video last week from Up, that's the reality that came to me. What if I'm the one? In that moment, I don't want to regret that I could have loved her more. I should have done more. I should have learned more about her. I should have said more. I don't want to regret. I want to live a life without regrets. And now I realize with the grandkids that how I love Debbie not only reflects our relationship, but it reflects future generations. I was struggling with the book that I'm writing on why am I writing this? Who am I writing it to? And to one degree, I'm writing it to you. To another degree, I'm writing it to your unchurched friends. But as I began to think about it, no, here's who I'm writing it to. I'm writing it to the children of Miles and Addison. Greta Kate, Everly, Sadie, Rylan, and Emery, so that they will someday have a record of their grandpa and grandma's faith. And I want to do it right. I want to love their great grandma and their great great grandma, and I want them to have a record of looking back and say, you know, they did their best. The reality for you and I are written in the words of the great theologian Garth Brooks. Tomorrow may never come. There's no guarantee for you and I that there'll be anything past the moment that I walk out of these doors. And what if tomorrow never comes? Will she know how much I loved her? Will she know how much you loved him? Don't take it for granted. Let's build our marriages. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your grace. Thank you for how much you love us, that you gave Jesus Christ to die for us. And over and over and over in the New Testament, you compare the relationship that we have with one another in our marriages as our marriage between Christ and the church. And that each of us are to reflect that love that you have for us. Help us to do it, God. Help us through the rough spots. Help us to be honest in the moments today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.